about half of you, but that's okay. I got about half of you, but when his word goes forth, you'll start to hear his voice. And you'll hear his voice and you'll feel his presence. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Let's get straight to the word of God. I recognize we've got to be out of here. What time? 4.30. Okay. All right. If you'll stand with me, if that is your custom, to, when we read the, read the word of God. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. Are we loose? Are we okay? Everybody okay? You're good? Ecclesiastes chapter 1 tells us of a tale, um, something that we already know, but I just want to remind you this morning. For everything, there is a season. We know this, right? A time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born. A time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill. A time to kill. Heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, which we just did. A time to laugh, which we will do. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones. There's a time for everything, wouldn't you say? A time to embrace. A time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek. Anyone ever played hide and seek? A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I want to emphasize this portion of it. Verse 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and there's also a time to dance. Then in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, uh, verse 1, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Now, before I go on, there's a thing that we do in Ohio, which I won't be saying that anymore, right? The secret's out. We would say something like this, O-H, and then you respond, I-O. You'll understand in just a minute. So I'll say, O-H, so you understand why I'm doing that, right? Because you see there's a name, Uzzah in A-H, sons of Abinadab were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And A.H. was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets and harps and lyres and timbrels, sistrums and cymbals. Do we still have tambourines in this place? Do we, do we still do that? We got rid of those, didn't we? Okay. That's all right. I understand why. Some people are not on beat, you know. Just <clears throat> Verse 6. So when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon... Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because, he had a reason, the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of this irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. You may be seated.
The father at home supposedly had the habit of exercising his right to perform what is formerly known as the fluffer doodle, the barking spider, or the bottom burp. Use your imagination and please do not exercise your liberty here. However, this young father had practiced his right at home and educated his young toddlers that this was to be called the boof. Let me explain. Let me explain. When you eat, you don't swallow just your food. You swallow air, which contains elements from the periodic table called nitrogen and oxygen passing through your digestive system, creating other gases, hydrogen, methane, and carbon dioxide, that element that makes my favorite Diet Coke nice and fizzy. This happens when food is broken down in the body, and all these gases escape, helping form the facial expressions of the crinkly nose of bewilderment and sometimes despair from its unfortunate recipients. What he did not explain to his toddler, what he hoped to explain to his toddler, was that if done in public, it was supposed to be kept secret. Sometime between the day Adam was formed from the dust of the ground and today, this young toddler did not know the rules of engagement and developed the crinkly nose of bewilderment on the second row of the church building while pastor was preaching. And to, this father's ama- <clears throat> to that father's amazement, The young, innocent child of three, now four, who did not know any better, shouted out loud, right in that part of the service where the the speaker kind of, there's a silence. He says, Daddy, what was that? Did did you just boof? Now, Daddy was beside himself, embarrassed and uncomfortable. He could feel the stinging eyes of his wife to the right, the laughter from the row behind, and the jaw-dropped faces of unbelief to the, to the right. Don't ask me who this father was. I will refuse to tell you, but what I can tell you and confirm this, that father was and still is embarrassed. <laughs> now... If that makes you feel uncomfortable, I apologize because, as we know, it's highly inappropriate to discuss in a formal setting like this with people who are highly proper and dignified, put together and profess they are not human. And they don't do this. Of course, this never has ever happened to you. And if that's your if that's you, I really extend a heartfelt um, and sincere apology because you just don't do that in public. Right. It's never appropriate. There's just some things you just don't do in public, uh, much less the church house during service. It's it's never appropriate. You you don't belch. It's It's not polite. You don't chew gum and blow a bubble. It's rude. Ask my mother. I used to do it, and she flicked me in the back of the head and say, what are you doing? Get that out of your mouth now. You don't allow the phone to sound the alarm. You silence your phone from notifications. It's inconsiderate. You don't interrupt the sermon and ask a question. It's not proper, right? You, you, and you don't pick your nose with people watching. <laughs> it's highly detestable and probably considered part of God's eight deadly sins. Take a cue from the wise men named Solomon who directly reminds us that there is a time for everything. There's a time for this, there's a time for that. We understand the social ramifications of embarrassment for reaching too far in the thou shalt nots of church no-nos. I felt very uncomfortable sharing with you that 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 young six-foot-or-so father or two wonderful cinnamon-colored children and beautiful wife did that day. Highly inappropriate. It's never, it's never appropriate. It's never a time to do such things. It's socially, really, it's socially unacceptable. It's kind of awkward. I wouldn't advise it. But a young, ruddy, 
But handsome young lad named David could empathize with this embarrassed father, for he, a jolly good fellow, for which no one could deny, had several moments before his 40-year career as king and politician where the things he did was highly, highly questionable and arguably inappropriate. You have to take his brother's word for it when he, not much older than 17 years old, inappropriately assumed the role of hero in the audience of the nation of Israel, picking up five smooth stones and landing one to the forehead of the giant of a man named Goliath. You've heard the story, I'm sure. He won, sure, but he, as his brother told him, should know his place. It was highly inappropriate for someone of his age to be there in his occupation as shepherd boy to be there. He should know better. David seems to stay in the default position of doing and being inappropriate. Ahimelech, one of the priests in David's day, might agree. David and his posse of men joining him and fleeing from Saul were hungry, or would I say hangry. And David had the audacity, the gall, the nerve to request food from the church pantry that didn't really, really belong to him, putting the priest in a really awkward position because it actually belonged to the priest. It's like when you bring pizza in the room and everyone feels like they deserve a slice. It was like asking someone who brought a sack lunch at school for their peanut butter and jelly sandwich, their chips, their candy bar, and their Kool-Aid just because you forgot yours. You better believe it. David's got nerve. He seems to have no conscience. It's, he's hungry and he just wants something to eat, but it's still, it's still inappropriate. You just don't do that. If that, did, if that one didn't do it for you, listen to Achish, the king of Gath, tell his side of the story. He says, and I quote, One day I was sitting in the house sipping a wonderful mix of lemonade and sweet tea and taki hot chips, a beautiful combination. When over in the pawpaw patch, I noticed a figure in the distance. When I got closer, and when he got closer, I, I saw it to be David, the one whose slogan on the billboards, as you make your way to the nation of Israel, reads, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. But this David, this David I saw coming in the distance, he was insane. He was frothing and foaming at the mouth, and a little spittle ran down his beard like fountain, and it was oozing, basically dangling down his beard. It was disgusting. It was hard. It was really hard to look at. He was highly indecent and very inappropriate. It's never appropriate to come to someone's house like that. So I offered to, I offered to send him away in an oxen Uber, but he, he decided to just walk away. Can someone say, crazy? <laughs> David doesn't just stop there. He stays crazy, at least to some, especially to someone close to him. But let's not jump the story. 2 Samuel chapter 6 writes of a tale that really puts David over the top, excessive, extravagant, exaggerated, and some might say, including his wife, a little bit embarrassing. It will cause us to wonder and ask a question, especially with what he does several times in the story. When is it appropriate? What's socially acceptable in their day for a common man, a regular student, a guy or girl to worship? What's, what's socially acceptable for a king, a leader, a youth pastor for worshiping the greatest indisputable champion of the world that we even feel right now? What boundaries might we place on those attempting to worship God unreserved and ashamed? So, so when is it appropriate? Let's ask David. David, coming off the high of a battle and being crowned king, has a lofty and noble idea. 
David wants to bring the ark of God, the representation of God, the presence, the very presence of God to Jerusalem, the capital city. David desires to have the presence of God close by where he lives. So he briefly consults with people, with the people and with the majority vote, everyone agrees. It's a good idea to have the ark of God in Jerusalem. So off they go down the road and with much excitement, they began They began to worship. It's always good to worship in the presence of the Lord. David, accustomed to dancing, worship leaves. And as they give all they got and they join and give all they got, they use everything. Use your imagination. The organ gets going. Then the keys and then the drums and then the singers and then the harp. And and now everybody's shouting. Everybody's dancing because though they have yet to arrive to their desired destination, it mattered not where they were. Worshiping God with reckless abandon seemed fitting despite their location. Let's practice. Or maybe you don't know this one. Breakthrough. You are the God of the breakthrough. And when I can't see my way through. And I really don't know what to do. I look to you. They worshiped hard enough. I'm sure that the surrounding villages could hear the praises of God's people. Ask David if it was appropriate to worship the Lord in between where they were and where they were going. And he'd probably respond by shaking the tambourine lifted high and tell you in good confidence, yes, it is always appropriate to worship the Lord. It is always appropriate to worship the Lord. And if you were wondering when the right time to worship the Lord, it is right now. If you were waiting for an invite of when to worship the Lord, let me tell you it's socially acceptable right now to worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's appropriate to worship Him right now. Be seated, be seated, be seated quickly. Worship was off to a marvelous start, but then picture this. Then picture this, the oxen walking along, pulling the cart behind them. They arrive at the threshing floor, which, by the way, is a smooth surface that farmers used to separate the stuff that could use to make cake bread and those famous frosted flakes you love. Oxen and cattle were used to walking over this place. And then then somehow one of them stumbled. The oxen is really who stumbled. And Uzzah automatically out of reflex reached back to steady the ark by putting his hand on it to stop it from sliding off the cart. And without hesitation, God kills him. Now, it would appear, at least to me, that what God does to Uzzah is very unfair. He kills him. He's just trying to steady the ark. He's just trying to make sure that it doesn't fall on the ground. Isn't it his responsibility to make sure the ark of God moves from Gibeah to Jerusalem? No. 
What Uzzah does is out of line. He assumes that the representation of God requires his help to move, his hand to steady it. The representation of the presence of God was literally moving, and what Uzzah does is equivalent to what we have done in our day, thinking the presence of God needs our assistance, needs our hand in it or on it. We attempt to set the stage to create an atmosphere. We use lighting, add creative elements, and use impressive backdrops, and all of those things are fine as it shows we are attempting excellence to our craft. But hear me, we had a move of God before then, and we'll have a move of God now. Before those elements ever came, we had a move of God before, and we'll still have a move of God now. Before the smoke, the lights, the entertainment features, we were created to make the appeal of the Christ of the church and the bride of God but if you take those away we will still have a move of God in our midst we'll still have one but if we get so routinely fixed on having everything just right on the outside that we can't fathom God moving without it we have become like Uzzah insisting that God only moves when our hand is steadying it and that he needs our help what God is more concerned with is that things are right within our heart and our soul and within our spirit Uzzah lived with the ark of God in his household and got so comfortable with it he assumed the right to place his hand on something or behave in such a way that cost him his life here's the historical background it was in his family for 20 years he just got comfortable what happened to Uzzah provided everyone that day with clarity and I hope us today now everyone knew that the presence of God, the holy things in the temple of God, was nothing to play with. God was not someone to be handled, but someone to be respected and revered. That's just one perspective. Here's another. Uzzah went against the word of God and probably didn't know it. Uzzah wasn't thinking about right and wrong. He simply reacted to the situation. He wasn't rebellious or defiant. He was thinking only of the ark falling to the ground. He was thinking of the earth contaminating the ark while God saw that Uzzah contaminated the ark, contaminated the ark by touching it. And the Bible tells us of the emotions of David. He was angry, angry, maybe a little at God, but mostly within himself because he knew better. His decision to move the ark without consulting, really consulting with the Levitical priests, resulted in Uzzah losing his life. Numbers 4.15 directly reads, and it's not there, I'm sorry, but they, they, but they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of the meeting. Uzzah wasn't a priest, neither was he a Kohathite, so he shouldn't have been responsible for carrying it in the first place. Let me speak this now as a future leader of this church. Sometimes a leader's decision does affect you greatly in a negative way, and they will answer for that. But how you respond to the presence of God is entirely up to you. And how you handle the word of God in your life and live out the Bible is entirely up to you. I know they hurt you, but keep praising. I know they did you wrong, but keep clapping. I know that you're going through a mess, but lift your hands anyhow, because he's been too good not to praise. He's done too 
too much for my soul for me not to lift my voice with praise when I think back on the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me I cannot help but sing and cry I might stop my feet I might leap for joy I might wave my hands it is always appropriate to worship the Lord no matter where you are no matter where you're going through so when is it appropriate to worship the Lord the answer is Moses' sister Miriam shouted for the victory. Job, the man who lost it all, still blessed his name. Hannah thanked God with her voice for a child given to her by God. It is always, always, always appropriate to worship the Lord. I'll worship him when I'm down. I'll worship him when I'm up. I'll worship him when I'm sad. Doesn't matter if I worship you when I'm hurting. I'll go on record this morning as the cold crew is now here. We will always worship him. And there is always an appropriate time and the time is now so so the death of Uzzah the brother of A.H. now you're getting it causes a sudden stop to the sound of tambourines the shout of praise and the swift move of dancing legs even further David decides he no longer wants anything to do with the ark now he's done with it he's finished the death of a man of God has caused the worship to cease Let me just stop for a moment. There are times in our life where we will be tempted to do that. When things don't go our way and you're just, you know what, I'm done. I'm finished. I don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. And so David decides to get off on exit 10 on the off-ramp called the House of Obedinim and drop the Ark of God, the representation of the presence of God, off to a neighboring city. The Ark of God, the representation of God, was now going to reside in the House of Obedinim and not in the city of David. There are times in our life when it does not feel as appropriate to worship, to lift our hands and entertain the presence of God. But let me tell you that it is in those moments that are the sweetest. There will be occasions when engaging in worship doesn't look appealing and life and circumstances moves us away from the presence of God. This was David's disposition. You have, you have someone that knows what you're going through. Fast forward a few months and a series of Instagram posts indicate something was happening in the house of Obedidim. David overhears through the thread of posts on the social media and taps his way through the bottomless vortex of social media and finds a link to an article in Obed-Edom's bio on the Instagram titled, The Blessings of God Are All Over Edom. He reads the article and his heart is struck. He, He reads the reason for their blessing, the reason that everything they own and produce was being blessed was because of the ark of God, the representation of the presence of God. He remembered what it felt like to to be in the presence of God and wanted nothing more than to feel that again. He remembered he would hear the songs, the presence of the Lord is here. The presence of the Lord is here. I can feel him in the atmosphere. The presence of the Lord is here. He can hear it. And then he said, I can feel him moving on the inside. I can hear him moving on the inside. So come and enter in and cast your cares on him. He'll open up a window and pour you out a blessing. Because when the Lord steps in, he'll bring everything you need. Healing, power, and victory. He could hear those songs again. He recalled 
the exact day three months ago when he danced in the presence of God. He recalled the moment he heard the sound of singing and clapping and he yearned for that experience again. And so like David, we have people in our lives that miss out on what we take for granted every church service. And like David, many of them, maybe through our Facebook Live, long for that experience. They long, they look into, but they long to be here how it can change their lives. So David marched back on the road and got back to exit 10 and went to the house of Obadiah. He wanted the ark of God back. He wanted the representation of the presence of God back. And because he's king, he took it back. And he began marching his way back to Jerusalem. But this time, this time for him was a little bit different. Because you know what it's like when you lose something and when you get it back. As the ark was making its way to Jerusalem, David made the decision that every six paces he would stop and worship the Lord. This was intentional. This was deliberate. This was on purpose. The word of God reads that David danced with all his might. He left nothing in reserve. He did not care who was watching. He planned on purpose to worship the Lord. He, he took six paces and decided it was, it was then appropriate to worship the Lord. So many scholars, they, they will say it was six paces or six miles. I don't have that long here. So he would take, he, he decided here, I'll say one, two, three, four, five, six. Right here is where I'm going to worship the Lord. And he dropped everything and he began to worship him. And then he took one, two, three, four, five, six. Right here in this moment, I'm going to be reminded that everything he's ever done for me, he's worthy of praising. He's worthy of worshiping. Where would I be if not for the Lord? Where would I be? And he took one, two, three, four, five, six. And he said, well, when is it appropriate? It's appropriate right now. He's been too good to sit down. He's been too good to not lift my hands. Oh, what? where will we be if not for the blood, the miraculous blood of Jesus? He's always been there. He's always been there. So he took one, two, three, four, five, six, and he began to worship the Lord with all he had. It did not matter who was watching. It did not matter what time it was. He decided right then and right there was the moment to worship the Lord. This is why David would say, Oh, magnify the Lord and let us exalt his name. There's something that happens when we do it together. Do you feel what happens when we do it together? So you can do it, all, you can do it at home all you want to, right? And you can worship. You can get yours, right? You're in there. You're worshiping. Anybody else, you know, when you're driving, you kind of carried away and people watching, you don't care, right? That's one thing. But when we get together, when we get together, there's nothing that stops us. There's nothing that stops the moving, the kingdom moving. But when we're together and we worship, there's something that happens. What happens is, I don't know everything that happens in the spirit realm, but I do know this. The newcomer starts to see, this pe these people are united here. What's going on here? What are they doing? And Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. There's some unity that they see. I will bless the Lord all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Worshippers enjoy when other worshipers get involved. When worshipers worship, it can be contagious, and it invites others. Not everyone, not everyone boogies the same way. I'm just be honest with you. Some people are more reserved than others. But when you start right here, when you start, 
It kind of gives him like the, oh, he's starting, I'm going to start here. And then, and then the person in the back, you don't even know who they are. But when you start doing it, all of a sudden, oh, oh he's, he's got it, I'm get it. And then when she goes over, and, and it's work, and it's the chain reaction, I'm telling you that when it happens, all of a sudden the church gets together and we worship together. And so as, they, as the shout-down service continued at every six paces, the ark of God had already made its way into the city, moving ahead of David. And off, off in the distance... Off in the distance, there stood McCall. Some people call her Michael, but I'm going to call her McCall. David's wife watching the children of Israel worshiping and dancing before the Lord. She looked through the window watching David come into the city, and she watched him leap. She watched him dance. Church was hopping, and everybody was content with worshiping him in the same way. McCall is the one in the service looking from the window of interest and intrigue. What in the world are these people doing? David was not dancing in his whitey tidies, as some have said. He, ha- he was dressed as a, as a priest and dancing and twisting and worshiping and clapping in front of the commoners in Jerusalem. He was not behaving appropriately as a king ought to behave in front of the lay people and the commoners. And let me be the first to proclaim I am not ashamed to worship the name of Jesus in, in a way that it might look funny. I'm not here for you. I am unconcerned with how it might make you feel, but I came to magnify. I came to glorify. I came to praise the Lord. Sometimes I have to shut the world out for a bit, close my eyes, and give him praise. The same Lord that took the stripes on his back for my healing, his punishment, the one who's experienced the betrayal of his closest friends and the cross he bore on my back for David. For David, this was the same God who delivered him from a bear, a lion, and the giants, Goliath, and countless battles he had a reason to dance he had a reason to clap he had a reason to lift his hands he he had a reason to rejoice and the bible says that mccall watching all of this human behavior has not changed she despised him in her heart we really get to know why we really don't get to know why She despises him until after the church potluck. David decides to have a celebration because of the new addition of the ark in the capital city called Zion. He dismisses church and sends everyone home. Church is over. The last note has been played. The last drumstick has been swiped from the potluck table. And the sweet tea is depleted. Everyone say, I'm sorry. David makes his way home now. And, you know, it's something like having good church, having a good church service, and then... Coming home to negativity. Anybody been there before? These are the words David has to come home to. And David returned to bless. The Bible says that David came to return to bless his household. But McCall, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, his female servants, as one of the vulgar vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself you know I know what it's like when you come home and you know this is this is how I see it this is how I saw it David comes home hard day at work he's just been he's tired he's ready to go and he comes in he's ready to go whoo and and, and, you know he just wants to tell her how was your day honey you know how how are things how, how was your day so he knocks on the door hey honey I'm home and, 
you're not like this. I'm not saying that you're like this. I mean, just <laughs> like this. But she gets up and just gives him the stank face. How in the world you dance the way you dance? You know you're looking, looking like garbage. What's the matter with you? You know you represent me when you go outside. You can't, you don't need to be, yeah, see, she's not like that, so we already know. And, and she gives him all this negativity after a great praise break. And David, he, he's, I'm sure he's wondering, what in the, what in the world? What in the world's going on? But I, I begin to begin to think, what in the world's going on with McCall? What in the world's going on with her? So I wonder if it would have been, she, she gives all of this information to him, but I wonder if David asked, so, so when is it appropriate then? When, when, when was the right time to praise him? And I begin to wonder, why is McCall this way? Is it perhaps, is it perhaps that McCall never had a father that knew how to dance? But here's David's response to her, and here's our answer to that question. And David said to McCall, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as the prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. Verse 22, and I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. In other words, Michael, I didn't, I didn't dance for you. I did it before the Lord. I, I, I'll tell, and, I, and you know how you start arguing and with, with, with your child. And I'll tell you another thing. And I'll tell you another thing. I'll tell you another thing. No, I'm not finished. Let me tell you another thing. You are so caught up about how I looked, but I am not concerned about what I look like. I don't care. I can get more undignified than this is what he said. I can get more belligerent than this. And like a husband wives, I'll tell you another thing. Those commoners, the servants you spoke of, they didn't see me like you saw me. They saw me as a worshiper, courageous enough, grateful enough, and humble enough to worship without reserve. Sometimes we get way too wrapped up in what people might think about us when we worship in our own way with all our might. We get, we get really consumed and even afraid of expressing our worship because we are worried that we might look weird or we might look improper and we might not look as distinguished in our Sunday best. Our tie might come undone and our hair might look a little hot mess. And, and it definitely don't, it, bobby pins are throwing like grenades everywhere, especially in an apostolic church. Come on, everybody has, but has anyone ever sat you down and told you? That's a bit much. Show of hands. Has anyone ever told you? Now that's a little bit too much, honey. He hasn't done that much to, for you. Has he ever? Has anyone ever come up to you? No, no. You need to settle. That's too wild. You need to cool it. As I have gotten older, sometimes the voice of McCall does not come externally. It manifests itself in me. So worried, so concerned about what I might look like, how I might be perceived and what people might think. Stand with me, please. Stand with me, please. So, so when, so when is it appropriate? When is it socially acceptable? When is the right time to give God all the glory and praise? Right now! God, we worship you! God, we magnify you! We give you glory! We magnify you! You're worthy! You're worthy! 
He's been too good to wait. He's been too gracious to hold back. He's been too faithful to give him half of what you got. I see it might be different for every person. You ain't got to worship like me. You may not be able to jump like you used to, lift your hands as long as you used to, dance like you used to, but you know when you've given God your second best, where you've emptied out your worship, leaving nothing, nothing left. But I want to tell you this. I want to rebuke the spirit of my call in this place that arises in us that wants to question, mock, and ridicule standing on the sidelines of a church service and began to analyze our worship. We must learn to push past that and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Why? Why? Because he did give me a reason to dance. He gave me a reason to jump for joy. He gave me a reason. I saw a sister. I haven't seen that in a while. You came and ran these aisles. There's a reason why you did that. So like David, and because this is where we are. So like David, every six paces, he reminds himself. He reminds himself. Of how good God has been. And makes it a point of emphasis that right here and right now I worship. Right here in this place. Refuge, let me hear me. While we're here now, I can say we now. While we're here now, before we get to the next place, whether it's six paces, six minutes, or six months, one, two, three, four, five, six, right here, we are going to worship him before we get there, before we get here. While we're still here, we will worship him before we get there. Right here in this moment, we worship the Lord, team. Right here, can we honor the Lord right now? The presence of the Lord is giving you permission to cease to be reserved and worship him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. I have already prompted you. It is appropriate to worship him right now. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. His name is great and greatly to be. Hold on for just a little bit. If you're wondering when it's appropriate to start a walk with God, it's right now. If you're wondering when it's appropriate to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, it's right now. If you're wondering when the right time to be filled with the precious gift of his spirit, let me tell you, honey, it is right 
now, right now. If that's you, if you're wondering when the right time to live for God, it's right now. If the musicians could come, if the musicians could come. If you're wondering when, it's right now. It's right now. So I wonder, I wonder, before, before it's appropriate, if you do it before. Before, this is, this is when we normally do it, we do it right here. But I wonder if during a Sunday service, when things start doing unappropriate, when you start worshiping the Lord right in the middle of the service, we don't have to wait. He's been too good to wait. So when is the right time? When is the right time to worship Him? It is right now. Rushing with 